Hello, this is Tika and Jack, and we are Public Intellectual Radio. Today we're talking about dystopian nightmare futures and capitalism and progressiveness and all kinds of stuff. So uh, tune in and listen to us. Okay, Let's so... talk about dystopian worlds. Yes, can you talk a little bit louder? Yeah. Can I talk a little bit louder? Okay, well, I was looking at this, and I was reading this, this article that you read to about Sri Lanka. Now, for those of you out there in TV land who don't know much about Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka had a horrible civil war going on for almost 30 years. And this included everything from bicycle suicide bombers to child stories to people hepped up on drugs going out on crazy suicide attacks kamikaze boats, all sorts of things. That, you know, most people say, oh my God, that's horrible, it'd be like constant war. No, it's not. As, as the author writes, you know, most of his pictures are of, you know, Instagram-worthy food or Scrabble or, you know, dancing or other things. And then there's a bomb and so goes off and kills your uncle. Well, I think I think that's the thing. We you know we are very much into the movie version of things, Hollywood, and so Civil we think um, dystopian nightmare. We think is going to be very obvious. We think we're going to see it coming. We think it's going to be a kind of explosion. December seventh, nineteen forty-one, a day that will remain an infinite. Now that's true. You know, I'm not trying to mock FDR, but we have this this idea of it starts on December seventh. And it ends on, oh, is it August 7th or August 9th? I know one of those is you know, Hiroshima Day. So the, the point is, is we have this idea that the war starts and ends here. And the reality is it doesn't. No, and also, too, I think we have this kind of a glamorization of the war, of what will happen. Number one, I kind of even have to hate having this conversation because I feel that we have alternatives that are not war, that are not violent, but it's almost kind of fetishized when you're, mm-hmm. um, when you're in a situation such as, as this one. We are with this election where it's either, well, it's not going to work out and we're all going to like, we're all just going to um, end up in, you know, this, this really um, uncomfortable situation. But the thing is that, and people think, oh, well, then the next election we'll, we'll vote them out. But the thing is that when when things go wrong, they go wrong for like decades. Yeah, and and in some sense, I hate to point this out, we've been going off the rails on this low tax, you know, bust out, you know, Sopranos bust out style treatment in the United States. And we had, we gave lip service to equality and then pretended to change things, especially for African-Americans, Latinos, and Native. Um, in the in the seventies, but you know where we ended up. You know, this dystopian future for a white person is probably really different from the dystopian present for an African American. Well, I think another thing too is that this idea that it can't it can't get worse, <laughs> and we have a situation where I mean, and and the, the thing is that I always like to look at um, the Reconstruction period mm-hmm. um, after. The Civil War, and what happened to African? Yeah, what happened? To, what happened to African Americans? And it wasn't even actually. Think about it. It wasn't a brief time. It was a good fifty years of African Americans 
having um, things like, you know, their own businesses, their own towns, um, even their own medical schools. We had 14 medical schools. Black people had, mm -hmm. I am African-American. We had, well, we had 14 medical schools that were open between 1860, 1870 to 1910 before they started to close them down. The clamp down. The clamp down and reconstruct and before, you know, and, and so it's kind of like we went from a period where black people went to Harvard, had businesses, had towns, had medical schools to a point where we were being terrorized. And I, I'm not I'm not one to say that, you know, oh, well, people need to, to vote or black people need to vote. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this idea that um, the United States can't go can't go backwards um, in, in regards to violence. It's totally a false idea. And a lot of times that violence ends up being um, being uh, um, um, directed toward visible um, visible minorities, visibly ethnically different people as a kind of a warning um, to the masses. Hey, we, we can control, we will, we'll do this horrible thing to black people because they look different. And that will kind of essentially will put everybody else into this control. But I mean, I think that's kind of like, you know, when people think dystopian nightmare, like you said, I really love the fact that you brought African-Americans now, um, people who are um, Mexican-Americans now, um, immigrants now, um, Native Americans right now, and how people are living, but also too, it can get worse for those people. And um, I'll hold my beer moment. Yeah, I hope my hope my beer kind of a moment, but also too for I think white people have um, they're a little bit delusional um, in regards to their safety. Um, there's a there's a wonderful incident that occurred in the 1950s. I'm trying to remember if it was in Selma or, or somewhere in, in Alabama. But there was a white newspaper reporter who was reporting for probably New York Times or one of the other things. And he's, he's taking photos of the police beating the crap out of these, these um, marchers for civil rights. And at one point, a police officer walks over to him all kind of easygoing and then suddenly smashes him in the face and smashes his camera. And then says, oh, I thought you were black. Actually says something else. But the, the point was is that there's, when they, they apply this violence, especially to racial minorities, they're also demanding that you support it. And, and in some ways, I, I think this whole issue on Blue Lives Matter is just that nod. Are you going to support us? And if you don't, we're going to smash you too. Mm -hmm. So when I see that Blue Lives Matter, I'm thinking about things like that. Also things in my own experience. When I was in school and there was a couple of kids of different minorities and they treated them like shit, um, they would always look over to see who was watching and if they were being supportive. And when I wasn't, I got hit too. Uh, so, you know, they're... they're the, system is being backed up with violence and you don't have to beat up many people to get everyone else in line. and i think that that is kind of the thing that we have to kind of you know think about in these coming days not coming days but this coming month these coming weeks that um the violence isn't going to be the way you think it's going to be it's not going to impact you the way you think it's going to impact you and i think 
you know, but it doesn't have to be that way too. Also, this whole idea that, oh, it has to end in violence. We have to, yeah. in order for us to really be free, we need to really just um, free ourselves from from the from the chains of the of the of, of, of comfort. And that is false. That is not how behavior works. That's not how behaviorism works. If you clamp down on people, if you take away their rights, you know what they get used to? They get used to not having rights. This whole idea that people will naturally just rise up. Um, no one wants to be the martyr. No, 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 no one wants to be the martyr. And the thing, you know, and the thing is that you know, it's you know, a lot of times when people do rise up in these situations, they are so violent in how they yeah. handle it. They cut people. I mean, I look, I think about this is like kind of an anniversary of the TV show Roots, um, um, with LeVar Burton, which told the story of Alex Haley and his family's life from um, from Africa being free to the United States and slavery and one place they talk about um, this person named Kunta Kente and I remember Kunta Kente because he kept trying to get away and at the end they cut off his foot in front of everybody um, as a as a kind of like this is what will happen to you if you get away and we catch you and that roots was not even <clears throat> actually roots is not even it was a very sanitized view of what <laughs> happened during slavery and the kind of consequences that happened and so i think this whole idea oh let's just march into fascism people will see it they will rise up and then capitalism will be over that is very troubling to me is almost as if people are getting their political strategy from comic books as if there's going to be some kind of superhero or super friends that are going to save us why would you walk into that if you could somehow get out of it well the other thing though is is you have this almost wish fulfillment going on we're going to have this and then everything's going to be better as if it automatically occurs you know, there's a lot of work that has to be done later on. And then here's the other thing is, is that everyone has different sorts of what a good society would be. And there's an entire group of folks out there that whose vision is we're going to have this incredibly religious society in which everyone is part of a hierarchy and you're going to have the, the high religious leaders on the top and you've got the folks down at the bottom who who might be saved or not be saved depending on what's going on that's one vision of the world and if you're watching that uh hbo series uh, raised by wolves you have the theocrats that are all into that there's a lot of people that want that in this country they want jesus to run it and what is that that jesus is doing well it's their leaders that told them what jesus wanted you know, there's another group of, of people out there that want the business leaders to run it. Run it like a business. Um, that's a different type of hierarchy. <coughs> there are some other minor, uh, and, and these are this is kind of when you get down to the, the more democratic things, both on the left and the right, in which you'll have individuals coming together to make decisions. In the case of the right, it's all with, with money. Everything's transactional. In the case of the left, you would have cooperatives, collectives, and communes, uh, 
um, in the style of, of the first international and things like that. But well, well, I think that's one thing that's I'm also one thing I'm also worried about and concerned about is that we need to be, um, you know, to me, I always feel that you need to be educated in regards to alternatives. Mm. And to me, when I hear people talking who are discouraged and what they're talking about is things like, oh, well, I have guns <laughs> and or, or I am practicing shooting. So I, I in my own head, I'm like, OK, so you're just you're dystopian, your future. And if that, maybe you don't view it as just dystopian, but I do, is if things go wrong, you're going to shoot your way out. And to me, that shows a person who does not understand history, does not understand politics, does not understand at some point you need to learn how to eat, yeah. <laughs> you need to eat food. Well, about four or five years ago, we're talking a lot about Hollywood. There was two movies came out. One was the Disney version of a possible dystopian future in Answers, Tomorrowland. And it had George Clooney and it had a great cast and, and it just didn't go very well. And then you had Fury Road, the resurrection of the Mad Max series. And I, I read this great article that said, with dystopian futures, you just have to survive. You know, it asks you nothing other than your own selfish. And, and in this case, it's not bad to be selfish in terms of living if there's, you know, it's you or, you know, we got that whole trolley philosophical problem going on here, mm -hmm. one versus four. But, but kind of going back to this, you know, Tomorrowland, for all its flaws, had this view that we are going to build a great future and everyone's going to be part of it. And it's not going to be, you know, we're going to have trains that fly and you won't have to do the work because machines are already doing so much of it as it is right now. The question, though, is, is ultimately, which, how, who is the machines going to be working for? Is it going to be for most of us and making it so that your job is like George Jetson, you go in for an hour a day and you push a button once, you know, and then you sit back and kick up your feet? Or is it going to be, you know, some sort of weird snow piercer and we're going to be in the back of the train uh, shoveling coal and eating cockroaches? And I think that's the thing that's for me that's that's, that's so very troubling that we seem to have this idea that technology is always bad, which technology is not bad. We can actually have not everybody, but some people do. Technology could give us free time, but we need to be able to organize in order for it to be benefit for us and not just benefit for people who are wealthy. Um, there needs to be a kind of a, like I said, there needs to be this kind of recognition that in order for us to be a value, we don't have to work 40 hours a week. There needs to be this idea that, hey, we can actually organize so that we can have more free time. Um, this whole idea that to be progressive or liberal is to suffer is harmful and problematic and kind of and based pushes in people away it pushes people away and i think in a way it's almost kind of based in religion in some ways i don't know exactly what that is but it's kind of like well if you know it, it's kind of like, well you know i am i was raised a catholic and this kind of idea that um suffering is beautiful and suffering is, it shows that you actually care about other people. And I, I have always had, you know, now I'm, I'm an atheist. I, I, I feel that you, 
need to understand your value as a person, but also the value of society and understand that, you know, us as a society, your God should be, should be your community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what ties in with that is, is the scarcity economy. Now there's several things going on. There are things that are genuinely scarce and we need to be very, very careful about them. And there's others that are merely kind of a supply issue. So, for example, take chocolate. I love chocolate. And one of the things when I talk about domestication, I talk about um, distribution in my environmental science class, I show them this French documentary where they take chocolate to farmers in Ghana and have them try it for the first time. And the reactions of these these farmers who are, are really living on small amounts of money a day is is eye-opening it's it's both infuriating and exciting and you know you feel happy for them and then you realize oh hey they're they're living on you know a couple of dollars a day so this is this is something that's a big issue is is that often you'll have critics of folks that are make trying to make change that they go and they live like one of these individuals that is extremely destitute and the sad thing is is we've got resources so that no one needs to live like that and and you know what will there be work to be done yes but we can divide it up fairly equally and we can divide it up also based on people's abilities you know we we really can do some of that stuff and you'll be working maybe two hours maybe three you know, I, I know you, you think that there, we won't have to do any, but I think that, you know, some things will have to be Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying we have to do any work, but I think this idea that, that, your, you, value is based that your, your value on, is based on your, on your job is, um, is, is not, it, it, it's, to me, it's limiting. It's a limiting yeah. perspective. Um, if I'm going to be dreaming of a future, it's certainly not going to be one where I'm going to have to work like 40 hours a week yeah. and I'm going to have to have a gun on me um, and, and, and have to, to uh, plow the land. That's, I don't view that as a, as a happy, and I'm not saying, sure, for some people that is happy. We all have, you need to have, be able to have a choice. Mm-hmm. And this whole idea that in order for us to get to this better place, we all have to get to we all have to have a nightmare we all have to go to sleep you have a nightmare the, the desert for 40 years yeah we don't have to go to the desert for 40 years and i think we really need to like break <laughs> away from that whole idea that in order for us to get free from capitalism from greed from to me i feel that we need to understand that what needs to happen is we need to under what understand what's actually happening to us yeah. um, which doesn't sound it sounds so simple but yet it's so complicated recognize that you know we're not really free um, recognize what freedom looks like and then I, I don't know what to do but I know that we don't have to do it through this kind of hellish um, nightmare I don't feel that in you know the thing is that I always said sometimes dead white men are wrong maybe we don't have to have a necessarily a violent revolution in order maybe that's not that's not every dead white man said that but the ones that are more popular because i know it's, it's always sexier 
that if someone dies in the movie, it's always sexier, but we don't have to live in this kind of movie situation. I, th I think one of the problems, though, that we're having, though, is, is that the people on top have really crushed all the alternatives. You know, if, if things were, um, were truly just and, and free, you'd, you'd have choices. Do you want to be a little watchmaker and, and, and work all of your life making watches? Sure, go ahead, do it. Do you want to work on a cooperative and, and live community? Sure, go do it. How about a religious community? You want to work on the farm? Sorry, I'm referencing Riverdale right now. And, and be part of this religious cult. You know, the Hutterites are some of the happiest um, people and, and most successful people in the world. And this is an Anabaptist group that does farming and colonies in Canada. If you look at happiness values, they are happy. Do you want that religion? Maybe not. You know, now here's the thing. If we don't really have all of these amazing um, possibilities for folks, you just don't. And and if you screw up, you, economically, you're in, in serious trouble. But going back to this, if this was truly a free and just society, you'd be able to try these things out and find what makes you happy. And my my thought is, is and this is the, the criticism I have with sub, sub groups, is, is they have the one answer fits all. And the reality is, is that Human beings will probably need many answers. But the question is, is how do you let all of these different ideas work together? And right now we've got some nasty economic authoritarians that deliberately go out of the way to crush all these alternatives. So you're stuck. You're stuck in this job. And some of us get lucky and we get a nice job and can afford at least a middle class existence. Some of us get really lucky, like my friend Danny, who travels the world as he's a health executive. And then I've got my friend Kristen, who's, you know, um, one week away from being evicted. And the people in her life are treating her like crap. And, we, you know, what do you do? So we've got this horrible system that's crushing all the possible um you know, I don't want to say utopias, but well, I mean, they, they, to live. they are. It, it, it is almost this, this, this crushing of utopia, and I think that 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 the, the the problem is is I think we are so uh, we're so attached to work and the production, and you know, even in some of our 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 third parties we talk about things like we want to seize control of production which is not bad but seize control and then do what seize control if we, if we don't understand that 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 you know we have enough that you know if we if we are end up being our own slave drivers um and, it can, and i can i can actually see that being a problem um, you know, I'm very much into be people being able to take a break. And there's like this scientific study that said that rest is not idleness um, by oh, Yang. And it said, you know, downtime is an opportunity for the brain to make sense of what it's recently learned and to, to just understand things. And I think that's the problem. We are so on go all the time. Like even, you know, oh, even people who are, are doing really great things. 
They're, they're, you know, they're taking care of their children. They're going to a, a, a nine to five job. They're volunteering here. They're volunteering there. They're vo no one has time to go and think. Yeah. And why is thinking and pausing so, you know, so such viewed as such a, a horrible thing? Um, One of the things I would say that was interesting during COVID is, is there was a forced break in this country for many people, not all, but for many people in March and April. And yeah, we were doing things online. Some of us were doing things online. Others were, were on break. And it continued. And unfortunately, because we've had a twit who doesn't really understand how to deal with these issues, we're all kind of stuck in this halfway place. Sadly, this is not the break that we want. Some of us are able to use it as that break. We had this, this moment in which people could take a break. And during this time when I was taking a break, I was able to relax in certain ways. But what I will say is, is I was also chafing at the bit because I wanted to I wanted to go visit places. That's often how I I relax is by exploring new areas. Yeah. So. No, no, no. So. I mean, I I understand what you're saying. I understand that you know, we we all didn't. You know, this is not the break we all wanted. But I think that you see how many um, protests and how much organizing was able to take place. I like to think about the fact um, during the, the the 1960s during a lot of the college protests and uprising. And how not only did they, you know, Reagan and um, his, his educations are um, defund higher ed because mm -hmm. it ceased to be a white only benefit after the civil rights movement because black and Latino um, college graduation rates actually like doubled and they defunded them. Um, but the thing is, that's not the only reason. It wasn't just because it wasn't a white, white, it wasn't a white only benefit. Another issue was that people were organizing for change and they were being amazingly effective. So they took away that college time that was at first a break where you would think, not like essentially a break of not thinking, but you talk to your friends, you try out theories and they theories. and they changed it until you have to worry about oh my god i need to worry about am i paying for this how do i pay for this and it changed college from a place where people were doing activist activities and organizing and making change to a place where they were thinking about how can i make more change how can i make more money um one thing i would add is is that that period in the 1960s was an amazing moment where the United States was on top of the world and in, in many ways could afford to take those breaks. You could afford to do that things. And what happened was, um, for a variety of reasons, the U.S. became no longer competitive economically with, with the Re, um, rebuilt Germany, um, old Soviet Union, France, England, Japan, especially Korea's, uh, Hong Kong, uh, and all the other countries. The United States had this golden era after World War II that allowed for all this amazing pause for many people, especially whites. And then in the 1960s, that was opened up to 
um, other individuals too. You could have this pause to sit and think and think, hey, is this fair? No, um, maybe we should do something different. And starting in 72, the, the, the economic crisis began in which our factories were out of date and rather than coming up with some way like well rather than actually going through with the universal income idea that was actually proposed during that period what did they do um no they just said let's tighten our belt and, and work harder and that was always the refrain in that 70s and 80s that, you know you're just going to have to tighten your belt and work harder and then you had the other malevolent groups talking about guns versus butter guns make us stronger butter makes us fat you know and and remember it was bismarck that, that talked about guns and butter first so you can see the inherent militarism and, and aggression that was going on that but by the 1980s i think part of the reason why you had this transition wasn't merely um the, the economics were against us and people were looking at that and getting frightened. Now we were part of Gen X, so for us there were, I think there were places for us, mainly because there were so few of us and they needed to replace some of the people that retired or Well, the, that, that's the whole thing. In your Generation X, you kind of like, you, you got in, you, you got in, because it's like it wasn't that many of you um, and everything was quite, I would say, a little bit easier even though at the time we were very miserable because that's very generation x no. thing we we're very miserable but well there's that uncertainty what are you going to do yeah yeah you know and and going on um i think where the the things really started to go fast is is the late 80s so at this point the smokestack industry was down and the light the light industry was was moving downwards fast too and now you had people that had to go to college not because they wanted to but by, because they need to be economically competitive you couldn't make a life on a smokestack industry that wasn't there so you had to go to college to get your mba or whatever it was so that you could be part of this creative class and now things became incredibly competitive and that also drove down the the creative class as well. You've got all these these new people coming in to do computer programming or things like that. At some point, there isn't enough space for it. And now they then, instead of people kind of looking at that and saying, hey, we need to do things differently, we just tightened our belts and ate more guns. Well, I think, you know, you have this combination of tightening your belt but the thing is that we didn't actually need to tighten our belt that's that's the thing that's just ridiculous it it was simply done to control people um because by this time we've had the technology and there are a lot of things like um you know if you look at how quickly you can type something and print it out on the computer and how long it should take to type okay a 10 page paper a long time ago a 10 page <laughs> paper would take you a day at least at least, um, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, after research, I'm talking yeah. about, you have to research, but say you, after you have all the research, you have all the things you need to do to write that paper, it would take you at least a day, probably about three days, and then you had to find a printer, or if you typed it, oh, you messed up, etc. Huh. That right now, you have all the stuff you need to do a paper, a 10-page paper, you can do that in eight hours. You can do it 
print it, design it in eight hours. So everything is way faster, especially things that are in regards to professional tasks, copying things, mm -hmm. getting signatures, doing photos. Um, so this whole idea that we had to do this because, oh, um, it, it was necessary. It was not necessarily. It, at, at this point, and well, even now, all of this this work situation is all about busy work to control people. Um, and I think that that's, you know, this kind of adds to this kind of, I, it, it, it stops people from being creative. And now, you know, and, and I, the reason like, we kind of talk about the movies is because these movies and these books, people are already not that creative. And then you put this, oh, if the, the alternative to what, to A, is dystopian nightmare. And so that also prevents people from wanting to rise up because they think, oh, rising up means violence. No, rising up can just mean like this. Let's, let's really educate ourselves, organize, start some co-ops. That could also be rising up. But because we've been told rise up means get a gun, shoot everybody, and start eating roaches, number one, that's going to really prevent people from wanting to rise up. And number two, it really kind of limits people's, like, wow, that's, that's you, you really can't think what of anything beyond that? Future. I, I have this T-shirt that I love, and I, it's hidden in the back. I don't know where it's gone. But it was from the Mifflin Community Co-op in Madison. Now, sadly, Mifflin was too small to survive, and it closed about a decade ago. I got one of the last T-shirts out of there. And I was wearing it in about 2008 in Binghamton, New York, which is a area that's economically depressed. And it's 1 o'clock at night, and I go into a gas station to get some gas for my car. And the guy sees this shirt. Now, Mifflin Community Co-op had five hands, each holding wheat, and the center was a red star. This is a socialist shirt. And the guy was really gruff. What the hell is that? And I, I kind of had this moment where I stopped and paused, and I thought, oh, my God, he doesn't actually know. And he's reacting hostily because, of course, he sees that red star and he's nervous. And I said, well... That was a co-op I was part of in Madison, Wisconsin. We owned it. We controlled it. We ran it democratically. And this is our co-op from this. He said, you owned it? I said, yes. Well, imagine you own this place right here because he's working. He's a, he's a young man working at 1 a.m. on a, like a Friday night in a strip area um, selling gas. And I started saying, well, this is this is how these are set up. You have access to the property, you run it democratically, you make the decisions. And one of the things I liked about it is you only had to put in about 10 hours a week, and then you got this major discount on food, and you hung out with all these great people. And we, we ran this business together. And I said, imagine you and your friends own this gas station. You know, how would you run it differently? Would you have to be here at 1 a.m.? And there is this, this, as I said, you know, you had this moment in which he paused. He was ready to fight. And I managed to talk myself out of a fight, um, or at least a verbal one. And I, I said, hey, these are possibilities. And here, kind of here's where I think some of our role is, is to provide a good possibility, to provide a good answer. And this is why, you know, I'm always trying to support the local co-ops, even if they're kind of funny 
groups. And some of the co-ops are these funny cults, really funny cults. But others are exemplars of what we could do. And think about it. What did we do this past spring? We would go around with our uh, Clipper City co-op sign and we would ask permission and sometimes they would get, oh, you want to take a picture of yourself with that sign in our store? And then usually when the manager realized what was going on, they're like, yeah, hey, can I be in it too? So we were visiting food co-ops with the idea of saying, hey, these are alternatives that other people have built with their own hands. We can do it too. You can do it too. And start thinking about what you'd like to actually be doing with your life and what institutions you want. I think that's, you know, on that note, I think we're going to like kind of like this hopeful, helpful, hopeful note. Uh, I think we're going to wrap up this edition of PIR, um, PIR Radio. <laughs> PIR Radio Podcasting. And, you know, this is Jack and Tika. And uh, have a great rest of your whatever day, evening, wherever you are right now. Bye. Good night. <laughs>